0: Friends, if we haven't met, my name's Adam. I'm so glad to be worshiping with you today. Uh, and uh, I want to tell you about an experience I had uh, when I was probably 16, 17. I hadn't been driving long. When I pulled up to the gas pump, that's what this represents. And I get out of my 1991 Dodge Shadow, my first car, <laughs> screaming red, very cool. <laughs> and I realized, oh, my gas pump is on the passenger side not the driver's side, right? So I need to turn around. So this is what I did. And I get out. I didn't actually change anything. It's still on the passenger side. I'm breaking like every rule of public speaking by showing you my best side here. So here's what's really embarrassing. I did it a third time. And I was so embarrassed, I, just, I didn't even get gas, I just left. I just left the gas station. So that was before the internet was real big, so that could have gone viral somewhere. But man, i tell, I tell you all this to say, I'm a directionally challenged person. Where, where are my directionally challenged people here? Right? Don't, we're not messing with North or South. Is it by the Sonic or not? Okay, I'm a directionally challenged person. This fall, I did a wedding uh, in a beautiful setting. Uh, it, it's pretty new, Walnut Grove near Lathrop. No problems getting to the rehearsal. It was, everything was good. But then on my way out, two, two factors were present. One, it was pitch black. And two, I was no longer getting cell phone signal. And, and yes, you can see where this is going to go. And so for longer than I'm comfortable admitting to you, I just drove around waiting to get cell signal. Like, I thought I could get myself, I could figure out my way back. Oh, no, no. And I didn't have a map. What am I, like Indiana Jones? Right? (laughs) And so I just drove around aimlessly until I finally got signal. It was awful. Without direction, we can be very busy but not very productive. Amen? Amen? And if we don't know where we're going, it's hard to actually get anywhere. This is true in a car. This is true in any organization. And it's true for our church. So that's what this series has been about. Vision, building up the church in 2023. It's, it's, it's uh, to start off the new year uh, with where our church is going, where we feel God leading us. What direction is our church headed? In the summer of 2022, our leadership team felt God calling us to aspire to be a community of unlikely friends following Jesus together. Last week, Pastor Mitch talked about what it means to be in community, that the church is in a building, that Christianity is a team sport. When Jesus drew people to himself, uh, that's how he began his ministry, with these small communities, connecting people, sharing their lives. Two weeks ago, Corey, our leadership team chair, he talked about what it means to be a group of unlikely friends, that despite all the differences we could mark amongst ourselves, uh, according to whatever metric you wanna pick, different generations, different political party, different socioeconomic status, different worship preferences, that our church could be united in prioritizing Jesus above everything else. That's what we're aiming for. This community that Jesus assembled as his disciples, they didn't make sense on paper. I mean, you had people from all different types of walks of life, including a tax collector, a former tax collector, and a political revolutionary in the same circle that Jesus drew to himself. This group of people did not make sense according to the world, and they were unlikely friends. So today I want to unpack what it means as a key part of our vision to be following Jesus together. You can find community all sorts of places. You can find community at your CrossFit gym, or so I've heard. Uh, <laughs> Uh, You can find community in your fantasy football league or your bridge club or you name it, whatever. In order to understand what it means for us to follow Jesus together, let's begin by learning from some of Jesus' original followers. Our scripture is going to come from Matthew chapter 20. In the book of Matthew, at this point, Jesus is coming closer to the end of his time here on earth. And we'll see that the disciples, as Jesus is trying to lay this out for them, They still don't get it. Matthew's one of the four gospels. That's a word that just means good news. These are the biographies, the good news of Jesus' life and teachings and his death and resurrection. Jesus is traveling with his disciples to Jerusalem when he gets an odd request. Chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons. These are two of Jesus' disciples. And kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So mama is coming to ask the boss if the boys can get a promotion. I imagine that they had to have been humiliated with this. Now, at the first service, this struck out. We'll see if I do any better here. Does anybody else remember, like, going to try on jeans with their mom and mom would kind of do the thumb waistband thing, this thing. And you're just like, mom, mom. That, that's just, this to me is a mom moment. The disciples getting kind of upstaged by this embarrassing question their mom asked. Because Jesus has just finished, prior to this, telling the disciples how he is soon to be flogged, mocked, condemned, and crucified in Jerusalem. And then mom is out here like but my boys are really special. I mean, just this the, the dissonance here is stark. So what's she asking for? She asked Jesus for her two sons to sit at your right, one of them, and the other at your left. Now, this is a phrase that literally and metaphorically is about positions of visibility, power, and influence. You can kind of think of this like uh, when a show or a movie wins an award. Who goes up on the stage? or when a team wins a championship? Who are the people that, that, that are on the podium? The disciples have in mind a worldly definition of kingdom, one where power and authority are wielded, are used for personal gain. And they're still thinking that Jesus came to establish a political entity, a political kingdom, and they wanna have a high place in the hierarchy. Clearly, they have no clue what Jesus has been trying to get them to understand. This is the opposite of everything he has said for probably around three years now. And he puts this very plainly in verse 22. Jesus said, you don't know what you were asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. So what does Jesus mean by the cup I'm going to drink? Many times in the scripture, uh, this cup represents uh, a metaphor for the destiny of suffering. Later, Jesus would say, six chapters later, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He was referring to the crucifixion he would endure. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So when Jesus says, can you drink from the cup I'm going to drink from, he's simultaneously referring to the crucifixion that he would endure and the persecution that his followers would face. And when they answer in the affirmative, Jesus ominously says, you will indeed. Later in the New Testament, we read that James was hunted down by Herod and that John was exiled to the island of Patmos. And so the brothers would get their place of honor, just not how they had hoped. Back to our scripture in verse 24. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So who are the 10? The other 10 disciples. And indignant is a word uh, that means especially angry because some type of injustice has been done. So why are the 10 indignant? Because two of their guys are trying to get the upper hand on these political uh, prestigious positions. Elsewhere in the Bible, we have the disciples fighting over who among them was the greatest. And I just cannot, this is how, this is one reason you know Jesus was truly divine. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, the capacity of patience that Jesus has is divine. Again, this is the opposite of everything he's tried to tell them for years. And he's patient with them. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus is redefining the disciples' concept of what his kingdom means his would not be marked by the desire and use of power like every other kingdom in history. Instead, in his kingdom, greatness and service are inverted. It's the opposite of every other kingdom. It's the opposite of all of our instincts. Greatness and service in the kingdom of God are inverted. Jesus' earliest followers, they literally followed him. When we think about what it means to follow Jesus, we've got to, We've got to make a distinction between the sons of Zebedee and Peter and all the others, because they literally followed him from town to town. They left their boats and followed him. Uh, the fishermen did. We read. Jesus set them a first-hand example for them to follow. For us, thousands of years later, I wouldn't say it's any less real, but I think it is less tangible in that way. Like we're not following Jesus to Jackson County. Wish we could but it's it's not the same. And so what it means to follow Christ is not literally following him down the road, but to follow Christ means a way of life devoted to Jesus at the center. That's what it means to follow him. And if James and John teach us anything, following Jesus will probably not lead us into the most prestigious positions of power. Following Jesus will definitely lead us down to a humble level of service. At our church, it's our vision to be a community of unlikely friends following Jesus together. And our strategy to accomplish this is for everything we do to help people do one of three things. Know Christ, grow together, and go serve the world. No, grow, go. Uh, if, if we are fortunate enough to have you participate in ministries beyond worship, I hope that as, as you kind of play the tape of what we do at our church, I would hope that everything you could think of would fall into one of those buckets. Otherwise, we're like me driving around near Lathrop, aimless, directionless. We're busy, but not productive. So everything we do, we want to help people know Christ, grow together, and go serve the world. That's what worship is designed for. Uh, Our kids' ministries, our student ministries, they're designed to help people know Christ. That's why we read from the word and worship together and pray together. All of those things aimed at knowing Christ better. And all of our groups designed to help people grow in faith. I love what Mitch said last week. We don't just want to get you into rows. We want to get you into a circle where you can ask questions and be encouraged, where you can rejoice and celebrate the great parts of life and also mourn the awful parts of life with a group together growing in faith. And then the point of all those things, the point of knowing Christ and growing in faith, isn't just for us. It's not just to keep it for ourselves, but to go serve the world, following the example that Jesus set for us. Friends, the church is not a fortress where we hunker down and it's safe and and sanitized and secure from the world. The church is not a fortress where all this knowing Christ and growing in faith just piles up for its own sake. No, the the church is not a fortress. It's a launching pad. It's for us to be strengthened by knowing Christ and growing together to be sent back out into the world. Into Columbia, into Fayette, into your job, into your school, into your home to be sent back out into the world as Christ's representatives so that cycle can start over with someone else. Now, I could stand here for another hour. I know you'd love that. And I could tell you about all the ways we can serve inside our church or, or through our church at numerous amazing organizations. My man, Mike Stevie, teed it up. We got lots of opportunities. What he say? You don't have to, not all of us are called to lead a worship service, but we can all serve. Oh, man. I love it. It's almost like we planned that with this Sunday, isn't it? (laughs) So I could tell you all about ways to have you serve literally in this building, which we need. And I could tell you about all the ways we serve through our amazing community partnerships. But I don't want the concept of going to serve the world to be limited to our programs. That we're thinking too small. If, if, if we're just trying to get you to sign up to be a greeter. I love our greeters. We need them. But that ain't all we're talking about when we're talking about going to serve the world. Following Jesus into service is not limited to the structure of our organization or any organized church. There are limitless ways to do it. See, there's a phenomenon in my life that happens when I first meet somebody and they find out I'm a pastor. Some of you have heard me say this. One of two things happen when I meet someone new and they find out I'm a pastor. One, they apologize for cussing earlier. Two, they begin to tell me how long since they've been to any church and why that is. And I'm just like trying to get my groceries. Okay? Wearing my new cool jacket's not going to help me anymore either. Isn't that sad that people feel like compelled to sort of like like de-guilt in front of me? That tells you that people are suspicious of church and it tells you we got a problem. So friends, I may be a pastor, but please do not underestimate the access that you have to people every day and your capacity to follow Jesus wherever you find yourself. Do you know how hard I have to work just to be perceived as normal? Because I'm, a, you know how hard that is for me? You get to just go do it every day. And so if you learn one thing, if you remember one thing, really from not just this message, but from our time together at this church, this is really the one thing I'd love for you to remember. That you don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. Ministry is not confined to our programs as a church. It's not not that and we talk about that plenty. And I'd love to talk to you about it. But all of this is not limited to just what we have going on on the church calendar. You don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. I want to tell you about my friend Ashley. Uh, she's been a part of our church a long time and has been a stylist for over 30 years. And she came up to me a while ago and she said, "You know, I've never thought about my job as a ministry, but now that I have" Uh, it's changed everything. Anytime you're dealing with people's appearance, man, that's a relationship that requires trust. The environment of getting your nails or your hair done is very pastoral. People are relaxed. They trust you. And stylists will tell you, people will say about anything, won't they? And plus, how many people like hold your hand for an extended amount of time or is the list of people in your life that get this far from your face when they're cutting your hair, right? Is the list of people this far from your face a long list? It is not for me. So that is, that is a, a stylist is almost like the sacred relationship. Requires a lot of trust. This is what Ashley said. I'm far from being a pastor. However, I minister to people of all backgrounds, lifestyles, and faiths daily. For about an hour each day, I have someone's hand in mine and they tell me their joys and their troubles. I use that opportunity to lean into God with them and to pray for them. Some are super receptive and some are a bit hesitant, but I believe they all feel my love for them, and through my love, they get to experience God's love. You can find Ashley on the front row just about every Sunday, and if not, she tells me about that too, right? we got to get over that. Friends, Jesus said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. This word in the original language that we translate servant is diakonos. That's where we get the word deacon. You may have heard that term if you've been around church. Diakonos. It means servant and it can also mean minister. Jesus calls each of us as his followers to be a servant. To be in ministry. I believe any time you are using your gifts to serve others, that that is ministry. So don't think that your service needs to be confined to Sundays or church programs. You don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. I want to get that on one. Mitch, can we get that on a t-shirt? Yes, All right. <laughs> Students, your ministry can start in your math class, at your locker, in the cafeteria. There are limitless opportunities for you to minister in the midst of you and your peers figuring out who you are. I've said many times, if you can survive middle school, you can do anything. That's right. And, and there, there are limitless opportunities to be in ministry right where you are. Limitless ways you can use your gifts as a diaconos, a servant, a minister. If you're retired... That doesn't mean you're done. If anything, a lot of people that are retired that I know are busier than ever. Sometimes they got to get out of their wife's hair. (laughs) There are limitless ways that you can use your gifts in ministry to others. Now, if you're interested in viewing your life through the lens of servant ministry, we have a group starting next month. We're calling it Leaders Helping Leaders. And the concept is for us to focus on how we as leaders can find support beyond our teams at work. So especially if you are in the business world and you just want to meet with other Christians, trying to live out their faith, just trying to be a good leader, this is for you. We want to be servant leaders in our jobs. And the coolest part uh, is is who came up with all this. So we're going to be using a book called The Servant. uh, And we're going to meet uh, four times. But this is A.J., You might not have seen him behind the drum cage here. You know, we try and keep him confined. Uh, But AJ is a manager at a company in Liberty. And this is a huge passion of his. So AJ is leading. I'm merely hosting. Leaders helping leaders. And so you can uh, give us your info on the website that Mitch pointed out in the announcement video. Or you can, I'll be uh, right down here after church, me and AJ. We'd love to talk to you more about this. Friends, if we're gonna live out our vision of being a community of unlikely friends following Jesus together, then we must know Christ, grow together, and go serve the world. This ain't just for us. And remember, you don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. And so may each of us, wherever we find ourselves, follow Jesus, not up to the highest seats of prestige and power, but down to the low level of service. And everybody said... Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, for our appointment with you. Thank you for this community that has shown up to experience your presence in our lives. God, help us not to limit ourselves or excuse ourselves from service for for whatever reason, because we're nervous or because we don't think something might count. God, help us to realize the gifts you've given us and the opportunities you're putting in our lives every day to serve others. God, thank you for a community that doesn't just want to be insular and keep this good news to ourselves. But help us to leave this place and go serve the world as your servants. Help us to be in ministry to the world you desperately love and sent your son to save. And help us to have the courage and the wisdom to recognize our gifts and how we can serve you every day. Amen.